Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I am joined by singer, songwriter, performer, and multi-instrumentalist, Ed Roman. Ed's songs have received rotation on more than 100 radio stations across North America and 600 radio stations worldwide. So we're going to be talking to him about his songs, his success, and about the awards that he's won as well and what he's working on now and got coming up for the world. Ed, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you. Why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Well, from Ontario, Canada, the great white north, as it were. I was born, bred, raised, hatched, however you want to look at it. And I had a like, you know, it was the 1970s. And it was like a childhood's dream, really. I mean, you know, living outside a greater metro, I grew up in, in a farming family, multiple generations, even back into like Europe. And farming is, was like, you know, something that, and gardening for that matter, something that everybody did just, you know, to have food and things. But, you know, we had barns that we played in and built forts and, you know, get into trouble and spend hours of our time at a creek and, you know, catching crayfish and making fires and, you know, all of that was a very blessed existence. Remember it as a very peaceful time and also a time of a lot of excitement because of a lot went on in my family all on a regular basis. So I grew up in a household with three generations, grandparents from Eastern Europe, Slovakia, my mom and dad, brothers and sisters that are, you know, 10 years older than I am. And music was like everything. It seemed like when I was so young, people knew lyrics, were singing to lyrics in cars, knew why the lyrics were written, the subject matters to where it came from. I mean, if you knew even themes from television shows, it was like somehow some rite of passage, you know, there was some sense of like noble pursuit in being a musician and hand in hand with that, just because I was so electrified by everybody else's enthusiasm, including my, you know, the friends and peer group, I struggled immensely with dyslexia. I mean, if anybody knows what dyslexia is, usually people will say, well, it's a learning disability, but... <laughs> I've come to realize, you know, and, and working with the Dyslexic Society and being an ambassador for them and, and teaching myself as a, as a music educator for over 24 years, you know, nobody learns the same way. Information is, is required, you know, when somebody is, elect, as I say, electrified by the possibilities of something. And, and, and so often music was that for me to help get me out of the rut that I was in and the difficulties that I was in academically, struggling, you know, hours after school, summer school, tutor. My mom really was the big 
you know, motivator in a lot of it because she was always like, well, you know, the self-esteem problems that go hand in hand with it, with, with either people snickering because you can't read a word in class or some teachers that, you know, didn't have a bedside manner that, you know, maybe they should have were pretty, you know, cutting and, and it's hard. And then also being an overweight kid, you know, that compounded a lot of problems for me, you know, and, and music was that escalator to get me away from, from, from what that was. And as I grew with music, I started to pursue the academic side of music with the same fervor as, you know, somebody would if they were going to go into studying science or math or biology or whatever it might be. So it liberated me, it gave me that tool to, to, to look at things in a different way. And, and why I snickered at first when I <laughs> had said, you know, people say it's a learning disability. That's what everybody always told me it was. I actually see it as a gift. And even working with autistic kids and other kids in the past as a music therapist, I understand that, you know, if you label something right away, that could be its greatest detriment of all. So moving through something tactically, and this is what dyslexia has taught me, is that dyslexia, like other things, is a, is a three-dimensional comprehensive perception of, of learning. We want to tactically touch things. Vices, screwdrivers, engines, instruments, things that we can touch and experience because the byproduct of it is very gratifying because we're manipulating it and it's manipulating us at the same time academics can be very flat you can be you know open a book you're reading for hours you're reading something online for hours whatever it might be there's a lot of right all of that doesn't necessarily have the same immediate principle of three-dimensional connectivity so it's ironic that dyslexia itself and this is why I say my mom was so instrumental and a big part of it is because she would, she's the one who put a guitar in my head. You know, she, she realized how excited as a young kid I wanted to, to play. And I was always playing on a piano and then the front house that, you know, nobody ever played that was my grandmother's and making up little songs and singing on the stool in the kitchen, you know, in an old, into an old lamp that looked like a microphone. I just wasn't necessarily the entertainment of it. I wasn't like looking for gratification is, is, is a part of it, but not the immediacy of it. I realized that like that first thing I said, that music and lyrics have, has this power to change perception, to, to, to make you look at things in a certain way because the power of the word, the way the words are put together, the phrase, the statement in itself, that somehow... And I say why my life was very busy at that, that time frame between the farm, my dad, who was, you know, a, a public servant. He was the mayor of our township for over 30 years and police commissioner for 14. And at the same time, he was also the first coalition candidate in, in the history of Canadian federal politics. And he won as an independent and, and he was in Ottawa for four years. The, all, of, all of that really fed into who I was as a writer. Because my dad was very instrumental in also being, you know, you're seven sitting at a kitchen table and there's this political debate going on. And then all of a sudden my dad would say, well, what do you think? You know, ask the seven-year-old. Somehow knowing that, in my opinion, even at that age, whether it may be taken drastically or, or, or as some form of gravity in the conversation was irrelevant, but I felt like I was a part of something. And, you know, they say, you know, from the mouths of babes, sometimes adults themselves 
don't have that perspective anymore because they're so colored and, 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 and jaded already by so many things. So, so a lot of all of that made me who I am today and the pursuit of music, connecting with my management now in the United States. So I've been just trying to think like, man, Mike and I have been working together for almost a decade. All of that has given me a vehicle and as well as the Dyslexic Society and some of the work I've done from them and the Red Omen album and, and that song in particular has taken the music all over the world. And I, you know, people say, what, what, what are your greatest achievements? You know, like what, what's your greatest reward? Like this, <laughs> we're doing, you know, writing a song, performing it, creating something out of nothing based on the living experience. That to me is tantamount to like ecstasy. You know, I, I, it's such a, an epiphanating feeling when, when you're in a creative mode. Like even today, just doing some things around the farm here and, and planting garlic and stuff, just troubleshooting some things. And I like being able to create something out of junk. You know, it's, if it's, so what if it's an old used thing? There's gotta be some other purpose for that. And, and creativity, you know, is abound in that way you know if that's why i guess as an educator i for many years having a three-dimensional space and music as as that craft really turned on a lot of people that i taught and it was really comforting in many ways aside from seeing some of my students go on to become performers go to school higher education that 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 circumnavigate circumnavigated their lives that principle of artistic thinking because it gives you this this other way of the reliable, your own reliability without having to rely so much just on, on the system or a hardware store, or whatever it is, if we're talking about just doing something simply and you're creating something like, and sometimes you, you need that hardware store, but in other cases, I don't know, it's, there's something so much more gratifying. It's like, that's the other reason why I grow food because the tactical response and struggle is exactly what makes me appreciate it tenfold. And, and knowing what goes in, into that process, you know, and, and the and failure. Learning from the, the failure of knowing that, man, I, I just lost all my cucumbers because of thrips. Hundreds of cucumbers, you know, like, what am I gonna do? I, nothing, I can't do anything. <laughs> I, have to, I have to deal with it. But there are other victories in other places, depending on how you look at it. So. I mean, I'm going off here and, and, and you asked me one question, I'm talking for seven minutes, but that's who I am. You know, that's where I come from and why I am who I am. Oh, it's not a problem at all. Like you say, that's who you are. Well, let's talk about your style of music. What would you, if somebody asked, what kind of music do you do? What would you tell them? Well, I'm like kitchen sink, I think. I, I've used that analogy a lot now and I'm comfortable with it because I like a lot of different music, like a lot of varieties of music. I, and it's funny, you know, we grow with certain things over the course of our lives, you know, and music and art is one of them. You know, we, we reflect, we go back to those points as a form of nostalgia to say, hey, you know, that feeling, you know, that those tunes that I loved when I was 15 or 16 or those moments that you, you may have had remembering that music and listening to that music at that time, it's part of that, you know, education process. 
So who I am today and the music that I am is very reflective of everything I've responded to in the past. So as, as a young person, you know, my grandparents were listening to like Eastern European gypsy music, Django, Reinhardt, like my mom and dad were from the 50s era. So big band jazz, Count Basie Orchestra, Duke Ellington, my mom and her brother were huge Buddy Rich fans. My brothers and sisters who were older than I were into like rock and roll, like 70s rock and roll, but my brother had a real nostalgia for like 50s music. So everything from like Little Richard and Chuck Berry, Eddie Cochran, my sisters were all into folk music. And then when I kind of came in in my own, you know, that electric era of, of, of music for me as a, as a young player, as a falling in love with the electric bass, you know, somebody handed me a Jocko Pistorius record when I was like 15 two of them right his first album and a live album and when I heard that music was it transformed my opinion of what the instrument could be and what it could do it, and that one experience because I'm like well, what is this jazz you know like I, I sort of was a bit of a late bloomer I guess in some cases because I started to get into jazz and stuff like that when I was more like 15 and 16 where my friend who's like this virtuoso piano player, he was like listening to Ruby Blake and stuff like that when he was like 10 years old, right? Like, so that's what I meant. That also that influence was coming from, from peer groups as well, right? But, but though that, that music led me into so many things because I started listening to African music, Afro-Cuban music, fusion music, old school jazz, that then, you know, I started loving Mingus. I was like, and then when I went to college and, and that whole era of like jazz, you're studying jazz at Humber College, you've got great teachers, Robert, Roger Flock, Pat LaBarbera, all these people, you know, that were even played with Buddy Rich. He was teaching at Berkeley for the longest time, Pat. That, that it exploded in like for like five years of my life. And it almost seemed like after that, every artist I fell in love with, and things came after that. Man, I, was, I didn't stop listening to Tower of Power for like two years. I remember I had a tape cassette. I'm dating myself in the car when I was driving back and forth between college. And it was a long drive and I used to pick up a couple buddies. So like two hours one way, two hours coming home. And on a cassette tape, I had the tune, maybe it'll rub off from the Urban Renewal album. And it was just, I kept recording it over and over again. And then another time I was on a Quincy Jones kick. So I had the theme from from Sanford and Son, which is also called Street Talker, if anybody doesn't know, over and over again, just listening and analyzing the artists and the music in, in a way that was like, if people thought like, what's this cat doing listening to this music over and over again? There was something so electrifying about it engulfed me. And, and as a consequence, the last probably 20 years of my life has been the same way where I study somebody for long periods of time, lyrics, especially have like, you know, for me in the last two decades have been so important. I've always been a lyricist and a writer, but again, that's part of the philosophical studying of, of the lyrical ideas and concept. I mean, I pretty much listened to Bob Marley for close to three years, went to Jamaica so many times, visited, you know, Nine Mile, went to his grave, met his brother, you know, recorded some music. I even recorded a tune for Jamaica. I did a video while I was there. That's how much it affected me. The culture affected me just through the music itself. And, 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 and again, I, 
that's who I, so kitchen sink, it's like so many things define me. You know, I played in a concert band for so many years with toured Spain and that all is a big part of, of it. And, and as a writer and as a performer, I, I really like the diversity of things. One, one of the things that was like hard to market, I guess, if you would say people would, you know, a decade ago would be like, well, how do you classify this? Is it rock? Is it country? Is it funk? Is it folk? Is it, it's just music. Mingus would say that. I love that about Mingus's philosophy. He would say, you know, he'd go to Europe and people would say, well, he's an American artist. He's from America. They wouldn't say he's a jazz musician. But today, you know, you ask somebody who say Charles Mingus is a jazz bass player. Well, yeah, but he's also probably one of the more formidable composers of the 20th century when it comes to orchestral development inside of music. And small pieces, you know, 12 piece, 10 piece, eight piece, an octet, right? And wrote not only in a complex way, but, you know, alive. The music was really a living. Uh, again, those kinds of things were taught me not to be so worried about defining myself and being one thing. And now it's actually been the vehicle which has gotten me into so many different places and so many stations and, and opportunities because it's not just one thing. And, and, and I don't want to negate the writing experience or what the catalyst of the situation and the writing experience might be by saying, I'm going to force it to be this. You know, some of the other writers that I love so much, like Tom Waits, you know, some of the things I've heard him say where it's like, well, yeah, you know, the precipice of the idea is the most important thing. You're excited about the subject matter. So let it pull you through. Let that catalyst ask you the questions over and over again, because usually it knows more about what needs to happen in the development of the lyrical content than you do. You, you're there as, as, the, as the antenna. To, to pick up what that might be. I quite often, even as a writer, I, I'm stream of consciousness. And as a dyslexic, as you may already be able to tell, my mind doesn't stop. I'm in a sort of a continual framework of thinking. So, and it's hard sometimes to rest my mind. And so I write and I write and I write and I, and I look for those places where I'm really liking what it's saying to me, as opposed to what I'm trying to make it say. And then my job, is to organize it in some kind of palatable way that makes it, you know, it's a tune, it's, it's this. And I have fun with that. That's a big, that's a big part of the, the why I keep doing it because it never changes or it's always changing, excuse me. And if it stayed the same, I, I think I would like, you know, I quit a lot of jobs because it was like the same thing over and over and over again. And I, I'd rather just, you know, keep moving. <laughs> Well, let's talk about some of the awards that you have won and how it felt to win those awards. No, you won one in 2018. The Academia Award? Absolutely. And tell us about any other awards that you've won. I'm, I'm actually like immensely shocked. Not shocked. I shouldn't say shocked. I'm immensely proud that, as I mentioned, as a dyslexic, feeling this literary accomplishment through lyric writing and having notoriety for it through guilds, organizations, and people, fans, people that like the music and, and are participating in it. I mean, I'm up this year for a pre-Grammy nomination, 
this is a very exciting thing. A couple years ago, same thing happened. One of the more latest singles, Tomorrow Is Today, is up for that pre-Grammy nomination. I could say one is better than the other or bigger than the other, but they all matter. Matters to me more than anything. And it's like, it's not corny. To me, it's not. But my greatest reward is being able to create and, and do that. Some of the biggest struggles for musicians and artists is not connecting your material, which is alive. It's living now. There's, it's, it's a relatable bit of material that you feel needs to fit into the framework of the current moment. When you're not in that flow or you're idle or you're, it's not you know, working, or it's one of the most difficult things of all. And I guess it comes from another, you know, part of the philosophy of why I do what I do. On I mentioned Jaco Pistorius earlier, and you know he played with a lot of amazing people: Athene, Don Elias, Herbie Hancock. I mean, there's the Brecker Brothers. It's a huge list. Peter Erskine. I mean, I can keep going. But you know, Herbie wrote the liner notes on the, his first album, and. It's amazing what he said, and it stuck with me when I read it, when I got that album, when I was younger. And it just said, the definition of an artist is one who has the ability to fuse their, their life with the rhythm of the times, end quote. And when I heard that, and how many times I've said that, and how many times I've said that to students, when we are talking philosophy inside of writing and feeling that sense of connectivity, not only to your instrument, but your process, your craft. That's the biggest part of it. So my, my greatest reward is, is, is the fact that it's working, is that in whatever capacity it's connecting. And, and you know, the other thing is the people. I've met so many amazing people in my life in the last 10, 10 years with what I've been doing and the musicians who I've played with I mean, Tobias Tinker, who's the keyboardist on a lot of this, each other since we were five. Like we've been playing music together since we were seven. And, and having that kind of connection with people, or Dave Patel, the drummer on a lot of the work. I mean, we've known each other for 35 years. And, this, and the, the family or the, the sense of brotherhood and strength that, that you, you have with that is like, you can't, you can't pay for that. You can't. Something that's so special that, that that again is a part of the reward. I'm like, you know, deathbed moment. Thank God, you know, that I met these people and that we could do this together. Plaques and all kinds of things. And I, reminders, you know, I always joke and say, it's my wall of shame. <laughs> Or whatever it's not it's not shameful at all what would be more shameful is me not recognizing all those people that have, that have helped me to get here and then that we've done it together that's the greatest reward of all tell us about any current upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about well they need to know about a recipe for perpetual spring which is an album i've been working on over the last year and we've been releasing singles the first single was called stronger it went to number seven on the itunes charts in south africa and the single before after that was tomorrow is today 
which is the one I was mentioning. It's up for the pre-Grammy nomination. Just recently, November 1st, or sorry, excuse me, October 1st, we released the most, most latest single, Happiness. And it's been doing really well, including hitting the iTunes charts. But that and those three songs are all part of that project. So look for the material and it's all over the place. Amazon, iTunes, you can get my material at CD Baby. You can check out a bunch of my other stuff on sound for free. But I also like to point people in the direction of Red Omen, which is the video I was telling you about that I created with Nelson Diaz from New York City. That has become the figurehead mouthpiece for the whole Dyslexic Society. So any monies or attention towards that video go directly to the Dyslexic Society, which help facilitating programs for children that struggle with dyslexia. So, and we have facilitating offices in every province across the country. And it is a faction of the Ron Davis, the Davis Dyslexic Society out of California, which is also in every state across the United States and is also supported federally by 56 nations around the world, but not in the United States or Canada. So that's why I'm always talking about Red Omen and so people want to check that out. I'd be really happy if they did that. Okay, Red Almond. Well, when I bring musicians on the show, I like to ask them to do a little bit of acapella for the audience so they can hear what they sound like. So why don't you do acapella for one of your best singles? Wow, let me see here. Okay. So this is the one that's coming up for the, uh, the Grammy pre-nomination. I'm never gonna tell you what I like. They know me too well, know me too well. Know me too well. But then again, I might be revealing all I can tell, all I can tell. Honey, all I can tell. Well, I love stolen, cheated. I lied and I lost, oh, what the hell? Oh, hey, oh, what the hell? Ain't no use believing in what I believe. Believe yourself. Oh, come on. Believe in yourself. We got a billion miles left to go. And I should kick myself today. Hey, hey. But then the planet starts to roll. Come on. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow is today. I gave all my money to the man behind the white picket fence, white picket fence, the white picket fence. I said, please look after my soul and spiritual recompense, my recompense, my recompense. He spent our gold, silver, nickels, our dollars and dimes on self-defense his own self-defense then he whistled and smiled and said i'm off to switzerland and france switzerland and france switzerland and france sweet you had me over here snapping with you too and, and you went longer than any other artist usually they're kind of shy and they'll do a little bit you really <laughs> tore it up that's my family and do the song about the frogs right you know like that's that's the ham in me. <laughs> Absolutely. Why don't you go ahead and throw out that contact information, website, social media links. That way we can keep up with you and your music and all that you're doing. 
Thanks, Curtis. I appreciate that. You can get me at edroman.net and the World Wide Web. All my social networking buttons are there. Twitter, Instagram, my YouTube channel button. Twitter, I mentioned that. What was the other one again? TikTok, you can find me on TikTok as well. And Rumble. And Special Ed Roman. If you don't remember any of those like social media platforms or whatever, you can always search me for that. And you will always connect everywhere. Latest album. Recipe for Perpetual Spring. Three singles are out right now. Check them out. And I appreciate the opportunity, Curtis. I really do. Definitely check it out. Well, go ahead and close us out with some final thoughts. Any final things that you want to talk about? Stuff that maybe you want to discuss that I missed? No, I mean, again, I'm just happy to, like I said, I was joking. It's nice to talk to people. I think that what I've learned from somebody from some of my experiences as a, as a musician is that you play a show or something like that and you, you're, it's almost like you're preaching, you know, like there's, there's, there, there's that aspect of it. But some of the, the most incredible musicians I've ever met in my life are some of the most humble people. And the humility leads to conversation. And then there's no ego. It's not about, this rabbit hole or that rabbit hole or my idea versus it's just jamming and and com- a good conversation happens that way and i've learned so much from people through through just that just simply talking and it's hard sometimes in this day and age with how the pressure cooker of life has got us you know really ramped up so try to remember to be kind with your words and kind to each other Perfect way to end it. Ladies and gentlemen, edroman.net. Good luck. I hope you end up getting more awards. Listeners, please be sure to follow, rate, review, share this episode to as many people as possible. Ed Roman is a special artist. Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. Ed, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Curtis, my pleasure. Thanks for having me anytime. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream. dream.